Hi, and welcome to the Mark for Glory podcast. This is episode number 16. Today, we have a very special guest from the Parkinson's community. He's an NASM, or National Association of Sports Medicine, certified trainer. I believe he's also a running coach. Please welcome Russ Parker. Hi, Russ. Hey, Mark. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So what we usually like to do here is find out a bit more about your story prior to uh, getting diagnosed or prior to where you are now. So tell me a bit about uh, where you grew up, what it was like growing up. I'm here living on Long Island. I've lived here all my life except for college years, you know, away for a few years of college. I grew up in a town called Syosset, a nice small town. I grew up on the mean streets of suburban Syosset, Long Island. <laughs> I had a great family life. I'm one of seven children, and my parents were my heroes. And it was interesting being one of seven, so, you know, a house full of kids. But I had four older sisters, and I was the first boy and then my two younger brothers were twins and they were born after me. So it was an interesting situation. I was the only one in the house of seven kids. I always have like my own, my own bedroom. So that part of my life was kind of like, I, I wouldn't say I was, uh, you know, a spoiled kid, but that part, I got, I got the better end of the deal. Anyway, that was, that was kind of nice. You know, I had a, had a great, had a great childhood. There's uh Nothing, nothing, too, nothing too rough happened to me in life, except I had one kind of experience that uh, relatively early in my life when I was 18 years old, that kind of, one of was one of those deals with uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Uh, I had severe burns. I was working on my car and I actually, uh, my shirt lit up. I was on fire. So I had to do drop and roll and all that. Had some third degree burns. And that was kind of, you know, a, a lesson in life, you know, you it was pretty serious injury. I was in the hospital for five weeks. You know, I learned a lot about family and friendship. My mother told me I was the only time, the first time she ever saw my father cry. And my friends visited me every day, five weeks in the hospital, at least almost all of them. I had like a, a core group of like five friends from high school. They visited me every day, almost all of them. An amazing experience there. So anyway, then as far as like to jump real quick to hyperspace, to like my whole development of like career and everything, um, I've always been interested in uh, fitness and uh, sports. My main sport was basketball. I played on the high school team, didn't play in college, but uh, we had a really good team. I actually didn't even get that much playing time in, in high school. That was, my, that was my main sport, but I always liked working out and, and exercising. And I was, I was actually interested in the science of it too, even from a young age. I, I looked at anatomy books and, and things like that on sports, movement. But so when it came time for college, I was trying to get into physical therapy school and there weren't a lot of them back, back in those days. And um, a couple of them I came close, I got interviews. You know, they only had a handful of interviews for only like, you know, and then there were 30 spots or, or whatever. I transferred to a phys ed school. I went for a phys ed degree. That was kind of related curriculum, similar, a lot of anatomy and movement and things like that. And I was going to reapply to physical therapy school. My grades were kind of, kind of leveled off. They weren't bad, but they kind of leveled off. You had to be close to like a 4-0. And, and that didn't look like a possibility. So I was thinking about what I was going to do. I didn't really want to be a gym teacher. 
So I took a total left-hand turn and I went to school, um, you know, just back, back way back then, computers were just starting to be big. So I went to school actually for computer programming and, went in, and I ended up in a career in information technology. I said to myself, well, this looks like a good career. You know, I'll, I'll just do that. I thought I could do it well because I have a pretty good mind as far as logic goes. And I figured I could do all the fitness stuff on the side. And one day, you know, maybe I'll branch back into that field. So then I turn, I took early retirement at oh, 56 and I've got my personal training certification then. That was 20, 2013. So in a couple more years, I'll be 10 years of personal trainer. So that's what happened there. At National Academy of Sports Medicine, uh, I, I took a lot of the... Um, a lot of the certification, specialization certifications, corrective exercise was my favorite. That's a great one. And that fits in well with people with Parkinson's and everything. Senior fitness. Uh, I, I just took a behavioral one. That was uh, interesting too, behavioral science, you know, like trying that, that uh, addresses the topic of, of that I'm very much interested in trying to get people who aren't exercise, uh, exercising. And I went to a lot of uh, conferences and, and, and started meeting a lot of interesting people. And then I met Carl Sterling, who I worked together with as a presenter for the Parkinson's Regeneration Training Workshop. And uh, we, became, we became friends and I actually started getting connected with his circle of friends, which were some really amazing people. I feel that the things that I've learned from that uh, core group of people has helped me contribute in a special way to the Parkinson's community because I'm kind of into like outside the box type of things. And so were a lot of these people. I've um, been to several presentations and, and a, a summit from um, uh, Dr. Emily Splickle. She's a um, expert on the foot, <laughs> specifically the feet. See, that's, but she's also a human movement expert. And I found that there's a lot that relates there to people with Parkinson's um, and then people who, who uh, work on the lymphatic system, which is your, you know, your system that, that helps um, it's sort of your filtration system for your body, flushes out toxins and could affect uh, immunity and all those things. So I got a job as a personal trainer at a gym that took um, independent trainers for a while. And um, so it was sort of like a half working on my own and half working for a gym job. And then I got a job at the YMCA and I got a lot of clients there. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2016 and related to the personal training and that I decided to go totally as a specialist for people with Parkinson's, especially after I started learning the stuff that Carl teaches about neuroplasticity and motor learning and all that type of stuff. That's where I, that's where I was at. When, you know, once I got Parkinson's, I started training people with Parkinson's and then between COVID and uh, me working on my own um, treatment, I kind of pared down my uh, personal training client uh, population. And now I see myself more as an educator, a coach, and kind of like a free agent. I kind of see things going on, <laughs> stick my nose in and see where I could help. Um, come up with some projects of my own. I'm active on social media, which I, you know, I really enjoy interacting with all these great people between the people who are just the, the doers and trying to make their lives 
better and and then the other people who are the teachers who are out there sharing their knowledge so many knowledgeable knowledgeable and inspirational people out there it's an amazing community so that's kind of kind of where i'm at you got diagnosed in 2016 Mm -hmm. what was that like for you what was the impact well that that yeah i get that ties into my um my mindset too I'm a very optimistic person and I've been that way a long time. I even thought when I was right before, I guess I went to college, I even used to think, you know, I've observed things with disabled people and things like that. I even used to think to myself, you know, what would I do if I had a disability? And I had already decided at a young age, if I had a disability, even if I lost all four limbs, that I was going to do whatever I could do for myself and and to be an inspiration to other people so i i in, in that sense i know there's these stages that people go through the grief this and that and this also happens with a lot of people get diagnosed with parkinson's you start getting information you, you know you know your symptoms you start researching and a lot of people say to themselves you know i think i'm gonna have parkinson's disease you know just from their own research so i was you know kind of preparing for that anyway so when i was diagnosed the answer to that was I just hit the ground running. I <laughs> started Googling, you know, how, I, how I'm beating park things on, you know, looking for information on how people are staying ahead of the curve on uh, Parkinson's and things like that. One of the first days I found out, I'm upstairs on my computer and my son's downstairs and he's yelling upstairs, Dad, there's a boxing class for people with Parkinson's. So the family was good about it too. And, uh, and you know, all that has been been great as far as the support. I've heard horror stories in that area as well. Poor people who's, um, you know, even their closest family members, you know, they don't get support from them. It's like you're in a great position to, to help them, you know, and, and to deal with your own diagnosis. You got a good, you know, foundation support system. A lot of people don't have that. Yeah, my, my support system is unbelievable. My wife's an amazing person and Kids are great, and I have a big family. I'm involved in a lot of communities. Um, you know, I'm running clubs. I'm into running, and I'm into ballroom dancing. There's the, that crowd, and there are those people are supportive. You're on social media, and the interaction there has has been great. It's been great. I mean, social media has been a plus for me, and a lot of people with Parkinson's. I know there's a lot of other noise that goes on. That's kind of not great, but there's the upside to it. One thing maybe I've changed with that a little bit is I would say I'm an optimist and a realist. I don't, I don't really come across also as one of these people who always sees things through rose-colored glasses. That's, you know, in a way kind of phony. You're not doing anybody a favor in some instances. You know, you have to be a realist. You know, things could happen. And I, I know that these stages of Parkinson's, to tell you the truth, I know a lot about Parkinson's, but somebody asked me to define specifically those stages. I don't know if I could because I didn't really pay much attention to it when I was diagnosed. I knew what the possible end stage could be, but I just said to myself, I'm going to just do the best I can. I don't care about this stage stuff. I'm not expecting that to happen if, if I have anything to do with it. People I learned that from, again, people you, you I'm sure you know, well, you, you've spoken to uh, Gavin a lot. Gavin and, um, and Heather Kennedy, too, I think, have been a big influence on me on being both the type of people who could be, you know, very positive, but at the same time, being, you know, being a realist and kind of presenting things in a way where 
you know, these are things you have to deal with, but also you want to live your life. You know, it's not a, it's not a death sentence and that. Oh, um, yes. I noticed when I looked you up, you seem to be uh, like, you like to, to make people laugh too. I, I enjoy that. I've, I've been like that. I've, I've been a little bit of a, uh, I don't know if I would call it, say class clown, but you know, I like to, you know, I, I like to poke fun at either people or things at myself, you know, share stories. Um, I have a couple of funny Parkinson stories of the things that happened to me and, Little, little fun projects just to make people laugh. I did a parody on uh, Bob Dylan's Subterranean Homesick Blues. Um, I saw that. It was great. Did you play the instruments on that? No, I just used a karaoke track. And I'm, no, I'm not a musician at all. As, as a matter of fact, I think that experience, even though Bob Dylan's not a great singer, so maybe I picked somebody good to, <laughs> to, to, do, a, to kind of do a parody uh, of, I, I do want to take singing lessons because I've always loved music. Um, so what I did was I just matched the lyrics up with the Dylan song so it had the same cadence. And it was actually very hard to sing because it's almost kind of like a, I call it like a rap folk song. It goes very, very fast. <laughs> I had fun making the lyrics for that. And, um, you know, yeah, I enjoy doing things like that, joking around every now and then when people, you know, when people post things, I'll, you know, I had a little funny comment in every, every now and then. You know, you don't want to do that too much. I know some Parkinson's websites, they're, 100%, almost 100% not Parkinson's. It's just just a group of people with Parkinson's joking around, sharing sharing stuff and everything, which, you know, which is fine. I like sharing the information too, though, on, uh, on fitness and, way, and, and ways to uh, deal with the disease. Well, not just the physical part, the, the mental part too. I try to use little trick, you know, as far as keeping positive and learning how to adapt. I, I always try to think of little tricks and metaphors, whatever, whatever I could use to try and um, remind myself, step up my game every now, every now and then, you know, you come across barriers and then I, I call them surges, you know, or, you know, you could call them comeback, but I call them surges. I hit these periods where either I have to come back from surgery. I've had two hip surgeries or, or there's just things have gone wrong, you know, a little kind of like not the way I wanted to. And then I say, it's time for a surge. And then I kind of plan things out, try to be very organized about it, how I'm going to take things to the next level. So as far as my symptoms go, um, I've increased medication a little bit. When I'm on medication, um, I'm only four months away from this uh, hip surgery on my left hip. So that took me backwards a little bit. So I'm not quite recovered, but I would say I'm not much different than the best I've been since diagnosed as far as being able to move as far as agility and stuff like that. Right now I'm a little worse, but I know I'm going to get it back. I do dancing. I do ballroom dancing. That was a fun aspect of my life. I actually learned a long time ago in college. I went, when I was in college to show my age, I was during the, the uh, disco era. <laughs> you know, I went out to discos and stuff. The college I went to had this really good ballroom dance team one of the young ladies asked me if I was interested in in coming down and checking it out they like tall people you know because it looks good on the when they when they do the formation dance and stuff so I did that so I learned all like the ballroom dances like you see like I'm dancing the stars and stuff and I taught my wife and then we've taken lessons some lessons ourselves uh, group classes and um, but it's a great it's a, it, it turns out that some, a lot of the things I like are good for Parkinson's. I do running, so I've already got the cardio component, which is very good for generating those feel-good uh, chemicals. 
ballroom dancing is great. You're moving in all different planes of motion. You're doing it. You got the music part, which is again a good feel-good part. But it's it's actually very could be very reactionary, and it takes a lot of agility too. You have to learn the steps. The follower has to follow the leader, and the leader has to know how to cue his partner so they'll they'll do the turns or steps correctly or whatever. And if you're in a social environment on the dance floor with all big crowd of people around, it actually becomes like a reactive thing that could be good for fall prevention because you have to weave like in and out of the floor and people could be coming from behind you, stepping backwards, turning around, cutting in front of you. So you have to react to that. So it's it's it's, it's a great, I'll call it a sport, great act, but, you know, sport or activity, but it's really good. And I like things like gardening and the outdoors and stuff too, which is, you know, which is, which is also good. That's kind of like meditative. Something I've noticed, whether it's the Parkinson's community or attacks or Huntington's, whatever, is that some people strongly identify as someone with Parkinson's or someone with ataxia instead of maybe someone like you who identifies as an athlete or an active person, someone who moves or a dancer or a runner or whatever. What do you think is needed to shift people from the one to the other? I think you just have a body and a brain and you have problems. You take each problem and you address it as you're addressing a person with uh, a body with organs, muscles, brains, nerves. To me, I don't care if it's coming from Parkinson's or not. So this is kind of like an outside the box thing that I try to kind of promote is that you don't want to think of your problem as, you know, you have it because of Parkinson's. You just have some type of problem the people who are going to solve the problems, whether it's you or, or another health professional or whatever, the way it should, I feel it should be approached is, you know, if it's a movement problem, you know, anything that helps any sort of procedure or, you know, exercise or treatment that helps movement is going to help somebody with Parkinson's because they have, you know, if they have a movement disorder. If they have movement problems, you know, you want to do movement solutions. Yeah, there are specific things that physical therapists, you know, always do for, you know, if they follow LSVT or PWR or whatever for Parkinson's. But then there's times you just got to, um, you know, think outside the box. This is a problem that what are all the things involved? To give you an example of the, the mindset that I don't kind of like, where I just said, you know, where I had said that, you know, people see it as uh, a problem totally closely tied to Parkinson's. Um, I had a client who had problems with uh, energy and, and sleeping. He went to his doctor and the, doc- the answer, you know, to paraphrase what the doctor said was basically, you have Parkinson's and that's what, you know, it goes with the territory. So he basically, the doctor didn't have any advice for him. And lots of people have problems with sleep and energy. Why not just approach it the way you would, you know, approach, you know, any, you know, any person who has a problem, you know, does it matter that, you know, it's maybe being exacerbated by Parkinson's? One problem could be a non-Parkinson's problem and Parkinson's could exacerbate it. And then on the other end, you could have a problem that, uh, you know, is a Parkinson's problem, but maybe you had a similar underlying condition. Like for instance, maybe you always had back problems. Now you got rigidity from Parkinson's. The fact that you have back problems probably makes it worse. 
So that's something, you know, you'd be looking at maybe the back problem, looking at, you know, not maybe from, a, you know, Parkinson's perspective, just like, like you would look at any problem. You know, and then there's that word holistic. You know, you just got to look at the whole, everything affects everything. Look at the whole body. Just keep an open mind. And from a trainer's perspective, you know, we, we say exercise is medicine. So that's, you know, that's kind of like a treatment for Parkinson's, you know, only, only do the things that are backed by studies. And I definitely don't agree with that because a lot of problems I've solved are, you know, throw it at the wall and see what sticks kind of, kind of thing. And th those are some of the things that have helped people a lot. I have one person with MS on my first session with him. He couldn't raise his foot, more, right foot, more than three inches or so off the ground. By the end of the session, I had reactivated those uh, neural pathways, and he had it. He was he was lifting his leg all the way up, so his thigh was parallel with the ground. And that I did that with something I just like I had no idea it was going to work. That was one of those great moments where I uh, where I went home and cried and. Uh, and I shared it with some friends and everything. I was like, I can't, I can't believe this happened. He couldn't believe it. You know, the guy was walking around in the personal training session, just lifting up his leg. He couldn't believe all of a sudden he could lift his leg up. Like you said, we get so invested in waiting for some evidence or some study to come out that we use it as an excuse for not doing anything. Hold this back. You know, I see around that People are really focused on learning all they can about, I'm talking about people with these diseases and they really bother with expanding their knowledge, but not actually, actually doing work to help the situation. You have to practically apply what you, what you, what you've learned. I certainly do a lot of reading try some new things. And one thing you have to be careful of, I guess, with the education is to not overcomplicate things. So sometimes you, you know, your, your eyes bug out and you, you see this really cool thing and you decide that you're really going to pursue it. But is it really the, you know, are you really overcomplicating it? Is that something you really need to do? You have to think about, especially if you're helping somebody else out, you want to do what's convenient, easy for them, what they like, what suits them best. That's another a thing that I've kind of changed my attitude a little bit on too, is when they say, oh, what's the best exercise to do? And people say um, the one that you like and the one that you'll do. It used to turn me off a little bit with people with Parkinson's because you know that Parkinson's is relentless. You have to do some kind of intense training to counteract. You know, you have slowness of movement. You have to move fast to counteract that, things like that. So I kind of didn't like that saying, but at least the part where doing, doing things you like, I think does make sense because it has value in that you'll be enthusiastic about it. And if you do it well, it should have a good dopamine effect. Also, it's a bridge to doing more exercise. It doesn't mean down the line, the person won't do some other things that maybe they don't like as much. But also forcing a client to do something they don't like because you think it's the thing they should do. That's where sometimes you may overcomplicate things or be too rigid. If I have something I really think would work for a client and it really, they really don't like it, it really turns them off. I'll try to think of, you know, a lot of times there's alternatives and you can think of something else. I, you know, I, I had one cognitive exercise that I was doing with um, one client and I could just tell by the look at his face. When I took out the equipment for it, he almost looked scared. 
And I said to myself, this is not for him. Okay, I got to turn that around and do something else. And it could also end up backfiring, right? Like they could stop working with you. And then how are you ever going to influence them or get them to where you, what you need to be working on yeah. if they're not your client anymore? You have to have fun too, you know. Um, I, I, I sometimes, you know, in the middle of a session, I'll, I'll do something with a client that, yeah, you know, may, it may not have much value, but just the fact that it's something that they're doing that's fun, there's value in that <laughs> and making it fun too, whatever, whatever you're doing, uh, adding, you know, some fun component to it, whether it's just joking around or music, music is so powerful. Um, I had one client in a walker and it just wasn't happening for him that day. And uh, he's in his early 80s. So I took out my, my phone and said, well, Sinatra probably will do the trick. And I put on, uh, you make me feel so young, you know, that song. And he, he, he lit up and he started walking much better. He started singing along to the song. I was singing with him. That was one of those moments where I had to wish I had the video camera going. It was like one of those cute moments, you know, because I was like singing with him and he was, he was walking better and everything. So music is, is very powerful. You know, sometimes when you wake up, whether it's from a nap or in the morning, you just feel kind of like, eh, you know, grumpy and just kind of agitated. I almost like run to my, my computer or phone and, and put on music. It, it makes me feel better like right away. I have all different playlists, you know, my feel-good playlists and my workout playlists and this and that. And it does wonders. Uh, what would your advice be for people who are newly diagnosed with whatever condition it is? I mean, as far as attitude goes, um, it's not, you know, it's certainly not a death sentence. There are people out there that are doing well. You, you know, you could you use them as an example, you know, as far as that part goes. From just advice, what, you know, things you could do right away to hit the ground running, you know, as far as exercise goes. A lot of people when they're diagnosed early is they still walk pretty well. Get out there and walk and, and don't stop. You know, when you, when you think of Parkinson's and problems that are, what are the real common problems? Walking, uh, you know, balance and falling, you know, I think those are the, those are the real big ones. You know, they should be doing exercise, but that's something that's, it's just, if it, that's a gift if you can still walk well when you're first diagnosed and if you stay ahead of the curve, um, you know, that'll help a lot. So that, you know, from just like a, a little exercise tip thing, that's something they could do right, right away. Uh, I would say build, you know, build a team, a support team. That's very important because just going it, going it alone with just a doctor you know, a doctor and a neurologist and not doing any research on nutrition or, or, or exercise or anything like that, you're, you're, just, you're just missing a whole lot. <laughs> um, I, created, I created a resource document. So I do like a lot of coaching now. So one of the first things I do is I send them a document that has links to all the Parkinson's associations, um, just a list of ideas of all different exercises, you know, whether it's pickleball, you know, see if your local YMCA or recreation place has like pickleball or you get involved with ping pong and you know, just examples of different exercise things. Links to, you know, online um, classes, you know, tell them about Rocksteady and, you know, books, things like that. I think one problem going back to this topic of getting people to exercise is the mindset, you know, there's just a lot of people out there who basically when they, when they get 
quote unquote sick, they go to a doctor and they're, they're going to be a good soldier and they're going to listen to their doctor. So I think what, what we, you know, what we need to see more of is information getting to those type of patients. If, they, if it came from a doctor, you know, it would have a lot more power behind it, especially if you're doing that with one of these people who just basically listen to their, their doctor's instructions and not really go any further than that. We have some kind of thing where um, you could give out exercise prescriptions or, you know, I know you could get physical therapy, but for a lot that only lasts, you know, whatever, 20 weeks. It'd be nice if one day people could get, you know, training covered or training from a physical therapist, you know, covered as a regular thing, because that's part of your medicine. I just tell people the importance of uh, exercise and, and diet. There's just some people it's going to be really hard with, especially diet. You know, diet is a source of food, is a source of, you know, real enjoyment for a lot of people. Even though there's, you know, you could go on a vegan diet, there's a lot of things that taste good, you know, you can't convince someone that, um, you know, they have to give up this and that, you know, it's like a, to them, it's like the end of the world and there's just too much enjoyment of it. I can understand it to a certain degree. It's like you take something away from someone that could have a negative effect, I guess, on the dopamine. It was something they, you know, they enjoyed. So now they're getting less enjoyment from, from eating. You can't get through to everyone on, on those type of things. You just have to take it little, little steps at a time. You know, and w with the exercise, another thing I would tell them too is uh, people who don't exercise often. Because if they're on social media and there's, there's groups that share a lot about what they exercise, sometimes that's not so good for those people to watch because they see people do at a, at a relatively high level doing complicated things. So what I, you know, what I tell those people is don't pay attention to that. You know, you have to you have to level set and you have to accept the state you're at and then um, give them some, you know, nice, easy ways to start. Part of that is just fitting in excess, a little bits of exercise during the, during the day, doing some balancing exercises before dinner and, or, you know, doing some things with your, your with your walking. One thing I, you know, I'm trying to do is trying to teach people about how you could actually you know, it's good to have a regular exercise program where you do your 30 minutes of cardio, et cetera, and all the other things, have regular things you do, but how to fit in small bouts of exercise during the day. That could actually add value for advanced people too, because you just get in more workout. I'll do like a core workout that'll only take like 15 minutes before, before like a meal or in between some, you know, when I used to train at the gym, sometimes um, I had to, I had to get somewhere. So I didn't have much time for my full workout. So I, you know, nothing wrong with doing 10, 15 minutes of a few strength exercises at the gym. And then I do the rest later. Practice something when you're like waiting for a bus or. Right, right. And there are a lot of exercises too, that people should know. There's a lot of things you could do to help your movement that are not strenuous movement type things. So vision exercises are very powerful. You have your vestibular system, which is controls your balance. So if you do eye tracking exercises, that could help, that could actually help your side to side eye tracking. That could actually help you, your neck pain because some, believe it or not, people who don't have good eye tracking have neck pain just because they're, they're making it, when they have to look, they're making their neck do more of the, of the work than it should. But that could also help balance too. So um, you could fit in some balance work while you're going for a walk. So if you're walking down the street, what you do is you're walking 
and then you focus on an object. Uh, okay, I'm looking at a fire hydrant or whatever. As, as I'm walking forward, I, I got to keep looking at that. That actually, you know, works your vestibular system. Or when you're walking, you look, or even just standing, hanging out, wherever you are, try to expand your field of vision. Um, that helps too. And, and it also brings confidence. When you get skilled at anything, whether it's a, a, a physical, you know, skill that makes you more agile, or just like, like I say, you do like these vision exercises. Now you have more control over your vision. You have you see a bigger field of vision and you have better eye control. That's going to give you more confidence and you know, protect you from falling. And like you said, that's something you could just do online at the, uh, you know, wherever you're online, the store, airport, or, you know, whatever. I do, um, I don't know, you know, you know, the exercise uh, the farmers carry where you carry the dumbbells. Yep. When I used to commute into the city, I, I used to have a heavy backpack and a laptop and a bunch of other stuff in it. And I'd walk with it with one arm. And, you know, so you have to use your core muscles to keep you for, you know, keep you standing straight. I'd walk, you know, however, like 50 steps and then I switch arms. Or maybe when you're unloading groceries, instead of the eight trips, just take one trip with all of the bags. Yeah, all the bags tied together, yeah. Are there any methods or any tools you uh, use for like brain training? I do a couple of things. I do uh, multitasking. I could be doing something like an agility ladder or stepping over and across a line and, and at the same time having a catch, throwing a ball against the wall. And then, so that's a couple of things going on there. I could have somebody prompting me, but I've come up with ways to kind of do my own I self uh, cueing on uh, cognitives. So while you're moving, if you have to do something where you have to think how to, you know, how to come up with the answer, that kind of makes it harder on your your physical movement too. But at the same time, it you know brings in neural neural pathways. So what you, you know, so one thing I do is I'll do like a multitasking thing, and then I'll just think of objects, you know, around the room it could be, and just spell them backwards, you know. So I'm going stepping back and forth. And I'm throwing the ball against the wall, and I look and it's like couch, uh, and I got to spell it backwards. H C. It's not so easy. U O T. <laughs> you know, um, so you know that's you know that's one thing. The multitasking. There's like the boxing things you could do, where you have uh, pads. Is a say you have um, put you know put some what, tape or something that's a, a green color on one, red on the, on the other, and you just say you know. Right, level one, you just say right hand red, left hand blue, right hand red, right hand red, you know, all different combinations. And then um, then you make it a little more difficult. You say, if I say right hand, you got, you know, they got to punch with their left hand. And then, you know, and, and, and vice versa. Then you combine both of them. If I say right hand red, they have to do left hand green. So things like that, that really fire up the mind multitasking. But the other thing, it could just be stuff that's a task in and of itself, really rapid fire, you know, reactive stuff. So um, I think video games could really uh, light up your brain. You know, now they have the, you know, they have the um, virtual reality, which, um, you know, just I just got an Oculus, just got an Oculus. I've played ping pong. I've only played a couple of things, but there's a lightsaber game where you have to uh, really react and, and hit. There's an arrow on which way you should hit up hit up or hit down or across with lifesaver and they're coming at you. And every now and then there's these obje objects you have to 
you have to duck. I can swear that that prime, I did that one um, Saturday uh, late afternoon. I played the uh, lightsaber game. And that Saturday night, I went out bowling dancing with my wife. And I swear I felt as good as I did when I did that Parkinson's. I had actually one woman came up to us and said, and this is a person with Parkinson's, you, you two are uh, two of the best swing dancers down here. And I, I really, that really made me happy to hear that, you know, just to, to, you know, being a person with Parkinson's hearing that, you know, even without that, I would have been, uh, been happy to hear that. Also stimulating the nervous system, which is a little different than st stimulating the brain. I, you know, I've, I've done things with vibration and tactile things. Um, your, both your hands and your feet have a lot of nerve endings. Carl and I work a lot with in, in the in the workshops with the bottom of the feet. You know, it's it's good to do a lot of training in, in uh, either minimalist shoes or barefoot as much as you can. Especially people with Parkinson's, your you know your brain is compromised, but then you know there's this whole circuitry going on, and more often than not, your nerve endings are kind of desensitized too. Uh, this is again uh, uh, where I was talking about. Well, is it the Parkinson's or something else? A lot of times, a combination of the two. People wear cushiony shoes. Parkinson's or not, that's a problem because there's something called a foot to core sequencing and, and ground reaction force. And you're not going to feel that as well. You know, if, if you think exaggerated, instead of, you know, wearing cushiony shoes, you know, what if somebody had a big chunk of uh, a Tempur-Pedic mattress or whatever, you know, how well, how well do you think they would walk in and how much? How well do you think they would react to the ground? I do a lot of barefoot training. I walk on, I have kind of like a rough driveway. It was asphalt, but it was never sealed. But I actually walk on that as like as a reflexology type of thing, and it kind of wakes up the nerve endings in the bottom of my feet. But uh, going back to what I was saying with Carl and I, we often at workshop gives people these textured insoles from Naboso, and a lot of times that they'd have um, immediate good results with the people with Parkinson's would have good results with them because uh, the I guess the nerve endings on their their feet were just so desensitized that the texture of the uh, insoles just woke, woke them up and they went from like a shuffle walk to a better walk. But, and vibration also work, you know, works well. That could temporarily at least help people with tremors. Like if they have a tremor in their hand and they hold a vibrating ball, and yeah, that one here. So we've done, done stuff with uh, brain stimulation. I'm trying to think if there's anything else besides, it's mostly been like the multitasking type stuff. Uh, before we go here, I want to ask you one last question what is your opinion on cold exposure or heat exposure in the form of a sauna you know like one thing they say about sauna is like the sweating detoxes i've, I've heard i've heard things you know from people uh you know on both sides some people say that it doesn't you know detox that much but there's also the the infrared sauna the infrared light itself supposedly has healing effects on it. but i don't i don't really know that much about the um i haven't really tried the, the cold shower like the cold shower thing you know it seems like people use it and and, and and it works kind of uh all i do is i splash cold water on my face right now maybe i'm too wimp for too much of a wimp to do the cold shower thing i haven't tried it to be honest with you i don't really know i don't really have a strong opinion on any of those things but i'm sure there's some value to those things thanks russ for uh, taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you so much for having me. My right. mantra is fearless, limitless, limitless, and um, 
relentless. Never relent. On that note, thanks, uh, Russ. Thank you. Have a good one. Okay. Bye.